We return to our series in Samuel. We're at 2 Samuel 20. We'll begin to read at 19 verse 40. Page 320 in your pew Bibles. A grisly, gruesome chapter, and yet edifying because these were told, the Bible says, that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. 2 Samuel 19, verse 40. So in the Absalom revolt, King David's son, David, And his supporters were chased out of the land, off the throne, out of the land, out of Jerusalem. And now the rebellion has been put down, Absalom killed, and now the king has been called back to the throne. King David returns. What a high moment, what an exciting moment this is. Verse 40, the king went on to Gilgal. This is David returning to Jerusalem. And Kimham went on with him and all the people of Judah... And also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and in David also we have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Now our text, chapter 20. Now there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjaminite. And he blew the trumpet and said, we have no portion in David and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah followed their king, King David, steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem and the king took the ten concubines whom he had left to care for for the house and put them in a house under guard and provided for them, but he did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as if in widowhood. Then the king said to Amasa, that's the commander of his army, call the men of Judah together to me within three days and be here yourself. So Amasa went to summon Judah, but he delayed beyond the set time that had been appointed him. And David said to Abishai, now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. So take your Lord's servants and pursue them, lest he get himself to fortified cities and escape from us. And there went out after him Joab's men and the Carathites and the Pelathites and all the mighty men. They went out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And when they were at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword and its sheath fastened on his thigh. And as he went forward, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him 
with it in the stomach and spilled his guts or his entrails to the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri, and on one of Joab's young men took a stand by Amasa and said, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. And Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the highway, and anyone who came by seeing him stopped. And when the man saw that all the people stopped, he carried Amasa out of the highway into the field and threw a garment over him. When he was taken out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel of Bethmaacah, and all the Bichrites assembled and followed him in. And all the men who were with Joab came and besieged him in Abel of Bethmaacah, and they cast up a mound against the city, and it stood against the rampart, and they were battering the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab, come here, that I may speak to you. And he came near to her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. And she said to him, Listen to the words of your servant. And he answered, I'm listening. And she said, They used to say in former times, Let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled the matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? Joab answered, far be it from me, far be it that I should swallow up or destroy. That's not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give up him alone and I will withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet and they dispersed from the city, every man to his home, and Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. Now Joab was in command of all the army of Israel, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was in command of the Kerethites and the Pelethites, and Adoram was in charge of the forced labor, and Jehoshaphat the son of Ahilad was the recorder, and Shiva was secretary, and Zadok and Abiathar were priests, and Ira the Jearite was also David's priest." This is God's word, really and truly, and may he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you get done, 2 Samuel 19... And there's so much excitement. Israel and Judah have come together and they've said, let's bring the king back home. Absalom is dead. The revolt is finished. The war is over. And then there's so much grace shown on the way home. David shows grace to Amasa, who was the commander of the army of the rebels of Absalom and builds bridges with him and says, you become commander now of my army in place of Joab. And then he extends the olive branch to Shimei, who had cursed him and thrown stones at him. And he and Mephibosheth reunite. And, And old Barzillai comes with him 
to the, to the Jordan River to escort him on his way back home. There's so much beauty. And I'm ready for that line, and they lived happily ever after. Well, brothers and sisters, that's coming, but that's for this afternoon, and they lived happily ever after. Because the church is really a place where we go through one trouble after another. And that's what we have here. As Matthew Henry says, we must not think it strange while we're in this world. If the end of one trouble is the beginning of another. You ever have that in your life? Don't think it strange if the end of one trouble is the beginning of another. And that's what prompted Old Testament Israel to sing, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our sins and fears Release us, let, our fi- let us find our rest in thee. And that's what causes the New Testament church to sing. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, as we go from struggle to struggle, will you also take us from strength to strength till each one appears before God in Zion? And they lived happily ever after. It's true, but not yet. It's not in 2 Samuel 20 either. We have a new trouble and a big one. Sheba, son of Bichri, Benjamite, house of Saul, right? Old conflict, old animosities, rising to the surface. He finds a little opportunity and he drives a wedge in that. Well, that's what we see first of all. Trouble again, yes. We see Sheba's division, Joab's hatred, and a woman's wisdom. Sheba's division, a worthless fellow he's called. He is no good. This guy is no good. That's what that means. He is trouble. He doesn't know Jesus Christ. He doesn't love the church. And he sees an opportunity to pursue his own divisive agenda. We read that at the end of 2 Samuel 19 where it's not quite perfect because Judah and half, only half of Israel bring David back. Where's the other half? There's division. And it's always simmering under the surface in the church of the Old Testament. Remember, even when David became king, first only Judah anointed him. And it took seven years for Israel also to agree and anoint him as well. And so David became king of Israel. So this is a a long-standing division simmering below the surface. And Shimei, no, Sheba, when he sees a little spot of trouble like David said to his own house, Judah, hey, why is Israel calling me back? And you're not. And so Judah rallies and they take David home. And now Israel says, hey, that's not fair. You're favoring Judah. That's not what David intended, but that's what the worthless and the wicked will do. All right, they'll take things that are said and done And they'll, as evil opportunists, grab hold of them and use them as a wedge to cause division. 
because they don't care for the church. They don't care that it's the blood-bought people of God. And they're just in it to pursue their own agendas and to feed their own bitterness. And that's what Sheba's all about. And notice what he says. Whereas in the end of 19, Israel's saying, hey, we have 10 shares in David. We have more shares in David than you, Judah. Sheba turns it around and says, we have no portion in David. We have no inheritance in David. Think about what that means. This is Jesus' throne. David is a type of Jesus Christ. This is the man of God's own choosing. And to say, we have no portion in David is to say, we have no portion in Jesus Christ. This is unbelief, pure and simple. This guy's worthless. He is no good. So he drives a wedge into this little doorway of trouble. And rather than be a peacemaker to solve the trouble, he throws a match. He throws a match on the trouble so that it explodes. Israel, every man to his tent. And so what does Israel do? You know, it's easy if you want to sow division just to say, I'm standing up for my cause. You're always going to have a bunch of people follow you. It's always going to work. Not in the long run, but it's always going to work. And it did. All Israel followed Sheba. And only Judah, except for Judah, and all Judah remained loyal to David. Division. When Christ does not live in you, the body of Christ doesn't matter to you. When Christ does not live in you, the body of Christ doesn't matter to you. Only your own opinions and desires matter to you. You talk about principles, but principles matter a lot more to you than people. Sadly, Sheba continues to trouble the body of Christ. Men and women who prowl around with grudges and sores. And rather than seek to forgive and reconcile, they rage and divide. And people of God, the church is always fragile. Always. Whether a larger congregation or smaller, the church is always fragile. And it's easy to fracture it. And there's always a reason for you to pounce on and for me to pounce on a grievance, a complaint, somebody hurt me, whatever. And you got at that point, you got a choice. Pour gasoline and a match on that? Or look at Jesus Christ. When you hurt him, what did he do to you? He came to you with peace and forgiveness in his hand and called you to return. And when you returned, he forgave your sins. He covered your weaknesses with his blood and he drew you close. And that's what he calls us to do. Rather than pour on gasoline and throw on a match, 
because somebody said this or did that. Maybe David wasn't entirely wise in the way he handled the Judah-Israel thing at the end of chapter 19. Maybe he could have done a better job. Or we can look at Jesus and say, let's be peacemakers, not peace breakers like Sheba. So we read there, the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. They were faithful to the king and followed him. That's the way of Christ. Just a sad note before we get to our second point. David returns to Jerusalem and there are the ten concubines and Absalom had defiled them. So what do you do now with them? It's a problem David created in the first place by taking them into his harem. Not the will of God. So he locked them away, confined them, provided for them. And no longer had any fellowship with them. And they lived in sadness and isolation and widowhood for the rest of their lives. You know, there are some in people, people in Christ's kingdom who we might say get a lot of pain and only a little happiness. And I think that's the case with these poor ladies. And they get stuck in a predicament that might never go away in this life. And all they can do is call out to Christ who collects our tears in his bottle and one day will reward us for every tear we shed because of the afflictions of this life. The verse is put here because this matters to the Lord. And if you're in a spot like that, you matter to the Lord. Even though the cure may be a long way off. Secondly, we meet the hatred and vengeance of Joab. You know, later, because Sheba hides in a walled city called Abel, Beth Maacah, Joab runs up, he builds siege mounds and brings battering rams to batter down the wall. Well, Joab, that is who, jo Joab's a battering ram in the church. He's the guy who gets things done even if he has to kill a lot of people along the way to do what he wants to do. And that can be a blessing like when he said to David after Absalom was killed, get up. You're not seeing things clearly. Yes, Joab, right on. But he's also the guy who had no forgiveness in his heart, no kindness. And when Abner, who was Saul's commander and then Ishbosheth's commander against David, repented of leading the Armies of Ishbosheth and said, David, I want to join your side. That's the will of the Lord. David said yes to him and forgave him and received him and offered him peace. Joab says, No way, Jose. I need revenge for the blood of my brother Asahel. Then what did Joab do to him? Came up to him in a friendly way, as if to talk to him and then thrust a sword into his belly. That's Joab. No mercy. He always knows what's right. But he doesn't always know what's merciful. And in God's economy, merciful and right 
do mix. Peace and righteousness do embrace. At the cross, but not in Joab's heart. Well, here's what happens. This rebellion or division caused by Sheba has to be nipped in the bud. So he says to Amasa, the commander of his army, remember the guy who had been the commander of Absalom's army? Ooh, that grated Joab. You're going to make that rebel fellow the commander of your army, Christ's army? And you're going to bypass me? <laughs> Ooh, that's not sitting well. But he says to Amasa, David does, you got three days to get an army together from Judah. Because if we let this grow, and he finds his way into walled cities, this is going to be worse than the, the revolt of Absalom. So Amasa's busy trying to get it together, but he's delayed, he's slow. So David says to Abishai, Joab's brother, that's a good way to bring Joab into it, but says to Abishai, Joab's brother, you get together an army. So they gather together the the bodyguard of David, the Pelethites, the Carathites, and, and whatever people they can muster, and they go after, after uh, Sheba. And as they're going out of Jerusalem with their army to find Sheba, Amasa comes toward Jerusalem with his army, and they meet at the rock of Gibeon. And as Amasa is coming to meet Joab and Abishai, Joab accidentally on purpose drops his sword. And with his left hand goes to pick it up, but it's down still. With his right hand, grabs the beard of Amasa to kiss him. But that's what they did. That was ancient custom. And as he's grabbing his beard with the right hand to kiss him, with his left hand, he's got the sword, and he plunges it in and just disembowels the guy. And he's left there in a pool of blood. It's an act of treachery against King David. Joab's the guy who Jesus talks about. They say, Lord, Lord. They're busy in the church. They're serving, but they don't obey the king. They say, Lord, Lord, but they do not do the will of my heavenly father, says Jesus. And that means their faith isn't real. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. And that's what's happening here. Absalom's or Joab's policy is if you're in my way, I get you out of my way. But because of that policy, Joab is actually in the way of building the kingdom of David and reestablishing peace in Israel. He's in the way of Christ's mission for his church. He's not a builder, but a bulldozer. He's not a brother, but a butcher and a battering ram. That's Joab. And the sad thing about Joab is he's so gifted. He's so talented. He's been blessed by the Holy Spirit with so many good things to offer. But as, as 1 Corinthians says, no matter how talented you are, and no matter how much work you, if you don't have love, you're a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. You are nothing. The love of Christ doesn't live in you. 
Here's Joab, zeal without love. Like a battering ram that does a lot of damage in the church. His hatred, his vengeful actions threaten the kingdom of David. And it actually stops the pursuit of Sheba because everybody's staring at that man wallowing in the blood. Finally, one of the young men has to pick pick up Amasa and and carry him off the, the road and put him in a field and cover him with a blanket so that the war can go on. Joab, you are in the way. Brothers and sisters, serving the king and serving the kingdom is God's calling to you and me. And he he gives you many gifts and me, many gifts for that. Well, we can serve as builders or butchers. How we serve matters. So let's not use the wrong tools to build, but let's serve him with humility Christ served the church by giving himself up for her. Not by destroying people so that he could take first place and he could have his way. He let himself go. And that's the way, brothers and sisters, to be a true soldier of the cross and a true servant in Christ's church and kingdom, to go to the foot of the cross and die to ourselves. Die to ourselves and our self-glory and our personal ambitions and our unforgiveness and our bitterness and our vengeance and all the wickedness and the filth and the putrid junk and emotions that live in us. Die to ourselves and ask Jesus to wash us clean and fill us with his spirit to live to him. And then he'll turn me from a bulldozer to a builder. What are you? A battering ram or a brother? A bulldozer or a builder? We probably all have something of the bulldozer still living in us, don't we? And Jesus is the only solution. That's where we have to go. That's where I have to go. To cleanse me from all my sins. And to renew a right spirit within me to serve the Lord with the right kind of zeal. Not the wrong kind of zeal. And he will do wonders in my life and yours if we keep coming to him. Run to Jesus. Strong and kind. Run to him every day. Thirdly, we meet the wise woman. She, she is a beautiful lady. God sent a wise woman to teach us all in this terrible situation. Listen to James 2. This really contrasts Joab and the woman. Or James 3. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from heaven or from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, 
full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And it produces what? A harvest of righteousness by those who make peace. So here's Joab. We're going to get this guy. Sheba and the Bichrites are hiding out in this town called Abel. It's quite far north, even of the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of an outpost. But it's a place known for its wisdom. And if you need wisdom to handle a situation well, you go to Abel and you ask the people there, what should we do? Well, Joab goes to this city, which is called the mother in Israel. Hey, she's one of the mother cities. And he goes with his army. And he wants Sheba. And there's just a few Bichrites there. And he's just going to tear the whole place down. Battering rams and everything. We're going to wipe this thing to the ground to get one man. Whereas God says in Deuteronomy 20 verse 10, if you're going to wage war against a city, first offer it terms of peace. So this wise woman says, can you send Joab to talk to me? They send him. Will you listen to me? I'm listening. What are you doing? This is a place of wisdom. I'm a woman of peace. A faithful lady in Israel. And you're swallowing the heritage of the Lord. You're wrecking the church with your battering ram. That's what she's saying. Will you wreck the church, the bride of Christ, the Lord's heritage, just to get your pound of flesh and to pursue your own vengeance? To satisfy your own envy? And she stops him dead in his tracks. And he says, well, of course not. Matthew Henry says, uh, men may be the head in the church, but they don't have a monopoly on the brains. And that really is true right here. And so he says, I'm not out to do that. Of course not. That's not true, he says. That's not true, he says twice. Far be it from me. I'm way better than that. Yep, you just got exposed, buddy. I'm actually just looking for one man. Give him up and we'll go home. And she says, okay, we'll get you his head and throw it over the wall. She has a meeting with the city council. She says, look. If we can give the head of Bikri to Joab, we can save the city. If we can give up the head of Sheba, I mean, we can save the city. And they agree. They take off his head, they throw it over the wall. And Joab blows the trumpet, war is over, and they all go home. And I think of Somebody even wiser than this woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who said, I am willing to die as a ransom to save the city. To save my people, to save the church. 
What a reminder of how to think about the Lord's heritage and how to protect the Lord's heritage, how to build the Lord's heritage. Because the Lord was willing to give up his life to pursue us and save us from our sins. It's God's grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't take the way of brutality and butchering, but of self-giving. He's the wise man. Trust in him and he will make you wise. Well, I don't particularly like 2 Samuel 20. And when I read it, I said, trouble again? Trouble again? When will this trouble ever end? When will there be peace? When will the pain and the fighting and the division and the harshness end? And that's the question we need to be asking. And the hope that we need to be pursuing. Lord Jesus, when will it end? You know how the hymn says it. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sorrow pressed. By schism rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping. Their cry goes up. How long and soon the night of weeping will be the morn of song. The day is coming when all this will be over and the troubles will be done with. Let's look with longing for that day, joining the Old Testament people looking for the coming of Jesus And now looking for his coming again. And in the meantime, in the midst of these troubles, to be peacemakers, not peace breakers like Sheba and Joab, but like the wise woman. The cure is on the way. Jesus has established peace through his blood. And one day that perfect peace will come down from heaven and settle upon the church and will no longer be going from one trouble to the next. But we could be going just from one glory to the next. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your awesome power, your amazing grace and revealing your goodness and your way even in such a gruesome chapter as 2 Samuel 20 showing us in that wise woman the right way to go. Thank you, Lord, that in spite of how fragile we are, you continue to show mercy and to build your church around the world. And we say, Lord, how long will it be before the night of weeping becomes the morn of song? Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.